The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transformed their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Our guest today is Christina Comerford. And let me tell you a little bit about Christine by telling you what others are saying about her. Bill Gates calls her super high bandwidth. Bill Clinton has thanked her for fostering American entrepreneurship. And Newsweek says, by reputation, Christine is the person you want to partner with. So who is Christine Comerford? Well, Christine's a global thought leader who helps companies navigate growth and change. She's an expert in human behavior and applied neuroscience and the best-selling author for Rules of Renegades. Her latest book, the New York Times bestseller, Smart Tribes, How Teams Became Brilliant Together, was released just this month. She's best known for helping CEOs, boards, and investors create predictable revenue, deeply engaged and passionate teams, and highly profitable growth. And under Christine's guidance, clients often see their revenues increase by 30 to 110% annually, profits increase by 17 to 200% annually, and sales close 50% faster. During her incredibly diverse career, Christine has consulted to the Clinton and Bush White Houses, built and sold five of her own businesses with an average 700% return on investment, and has helped more than 50 of her clients exit their businesses for millions of dollars. She's a leadership columnist for Forbes.com and frequently quoted in the business and technology media. Welcome to the show, Christine. Thank you so much, Tully. It's great to be here. Yes, now your new book, just released this month, June of 2013, is Smart Tribes. Tell us how that book came about. Why did you write it? Yes, yes. Okay, so here's the thing. You know, in looking out there and looking at the two biggest problems leaders have right now, which is the talent shortage. Everybody's looking for rock stars, and there's only so many rock stars to go around. And then also employee engagement being at record lows worldwide we're all trying to figure out how do we get more done with fewer people? How do we help our people perform at more powerful levels? And really what's great about all this is you can bring it down to science. So what we're going to talk about today really are some areas where leaders unintentionally, unintentionally send people into what we call their critter state, which is where we are in fight, flight, freeze, frustration, anger, hopelessness, and we're not performing at the peak levels that we could. We'll also talk about how to help your employees get into what we call their smart state, super creative, super innovative, emotionally engaged. Thank God it's Monday. So, you know, we're going to, Kelly, we're going to get the best people we can, right? You're never going to have a company full of rock stars because there's only so many on the planet. But what if you could take the people that you had and help them get to the next level? That's what Smart Tribes is about. The more people in your company who are working from their smart state, the more you create a smart tribe, and that's where you get the terrific ROI numbers, the ones you mentioned, and many more. Okay. And obviously, as business owners, as a business owner myself, and all of those who are out there listening to our show today, 
who wouldn't want to achieve the results that you just described and who wouldn't want to get employees motivated to the point where we're achieving such uh, gains in not only productivity but profitability as well. Yet in spite of all of that, uh, in spite of the fact that it's out of fashion and really been proven wrong to use the command and control styles of leadership, there are still employees out there who are scared of their bosses who enter the workplace, as you said, unmotivated and many times scared. So what are the mistakes that leaders are still making when they go into their offices every morning? Yeah, okay. So first let's do a real quick um, what leaders need to really get. You know, we're crippling our cultures as leaders because we have this, as you mentioned, command and control mindset because leaders who are old school who think, hey, I'm the boss, woohoo! I have the power, you know, I can scare my people into um, performing better. That used to work maybe in the industrial age, you know, but that's, that hasn't worked for a real long time. So let's go over the five things. So the first thing that we find that kind of, you know, it's like a subtle offender, but it sounds good on the, on the surface, but then you start to see the problem, and that is when we help, quote-unquote, help people out by giving them solutions. We advocate instead of inquiring. So let me um, give you an example, Kelly. So, so often leaders come to us for coaching, for consulting, and they say, I've got this culture of order takers. And I think, well, somebody's giving them. (laughs) So um, when we look at inquiry versus advocacy, inquiry is, so Joe Blow comes to us and says, hey, how do I do such and such? And we say, Joe, what would you suggest? What, okay, cool, what would a solution be? Yeah, what could go right, what could go wrong? Who else should we loop in? We don't just give Joe the answer and advocate and make him an order receiver and us an order giver. We actually enroll and engage him in finding the solution. So when we inquire instead of advocate, when we ask questions of our people to help them solve their own problems, we tremendously boost leadership, self-esteem, a sense of safety, belonging, and mattering in that person. And now we've got them. Now they're excited and engaged because they're not a cog in a wheel waiting for the next order. Does that make sense? Absolutely. makes perfect sense. It's it's very similar to, and I'm going to break this really down to basics, it's very similar to when you're teaching your kids how to read, and instead of telling them what the word is that they get stumped on, ask them to sound it out, because then the next time they come across it, they'll know how to apply that skill to a different word that they come across instead of just saying that, you know, having somebody tell them what the word is each time. So it makes perfect sense, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And so we find the first couple times, okay, for the high advocators, the first couple times, it's going to be excruciating. You're going to be thinking, hurry up, you know. But when you do inquiry sessions, we find across the board you do about three inquiry sessions with a person, they connect the dots. Then they come to you saying, hey, I'm going to do bing, bing, bing. Any, Any changes I should make? You know, maybe you ask them a couple questions. Then they'll come for validation, and then they won't come at all because they'll be owning their area and feeling yes, really good about it. Yeah, absolutely. And a great point you make that this isn't going to happen overnight. In fact, if you've got a, an ingrained culture of order takers because you've been giving them the orders, it's going to, when the first time you do it, they're probably going to look at you like, what, what's happening here? <laughs> so, so patience, patience, and, and allowing them the time to uh, reverse course and come around. Absolutely. Good, good. So, so you, I believe you have five mistakes that leaders make. That was yeah. one. What's yeah? That? Let's good, good. Let's go on to the second one. So meetings. Okay, we all hate meetings. Why? Okay, for a reason. Because often they're heavy on info sharing and point proving. 
Guys, think about this. There are five types of communication. Only two move the needle oh, forward. I, I totally okay, so for instance, there's info sharing, sharing of information, sharing of oneself, there's debating, decision-making, point-proving, and then there's requests and promises. Now, often we all get together, all these people in one room, and we're just sharing info, status reports. That could be done over email. So right. our clients that, are, that really crank their revenue, that have great, vibrant cultures, they send all that info out over email so that everyone knows, okay, 48 hours in advance, you better send all your stuff out. If you haven't read the stuff, you can't come to the meeting. You know, you come to the meeting, it's super short, tight. We do a smidge of info sharing in order to stimulate requests and promises, and then we go off and we execute. So we have to really look at, are our meetings heavy on info sharing, point proving, um, and light on promises and requests, right? Or are we actually making it, look, here's just enough info for us to make decisions and move forward. So people right. get really cynical about meetings, yeah. Yeah, and I, I would wager, I would bet that most of what you see in meetings, uh, you know, with your experience and talking with your clients, is that they're heavy on the info sharing part and the real critical points, uh, the promises and the uh, the the. the Parts that are requests. necessary, the requests that are necessary for execution, are almost an afterthought in most meetings. As it's winding down, and everybody wants to go to lunch or whatever their next engagement or appointment is, and then it's like, oh yeah, you need to do this, and, and then it almost becomes uh, the order uh, ordering again. And then that's that's the heart of the meeting, though, is what you're saying. Don't don't make it an afterthought. Yeah, the heart of the meeting should be let's strategize together and figure out what requests need to be made and what promises need to be made exactly for what you said for execution. The only reason we're pulling all these minds together is to form strategies and execute, you know, so we can go off and deliver some results. Yeah. And so a doing status is nuts and makes everybody cynical and shuts yes. them down into their better state. Yeah. Right. And a, and a corollary to that, I would assume, is a lot of times people – uh, overstaff their meetings. They ask too many people to come. And so with your point taken, don't have all these people there just for the sake of filling up the chairs. If it's, if they're, they're just there because you think they need to be in the loop, send them the email with the information if they're not going to be involved in the execution. Yeah, yeah, very good point, very good point. All those bodies in one room, think about how expensive that is. Yeah. Yes. So in Smart Tribes, we go through an exact format for doing a super efficient meeting that keeps everybody fresh, everybody creative, everybody excited, and then get them off to work so they can execute. They don't want to be in that meeting anyway. <laughs> right. Make it efficient. <laughs> okay. Number three. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about when we give feedback without first establishing rapport. Okay, so imagine for a sec that your employees are antelopes, okay, but because you have authority over them, they might quite naturally view you as a lion, sometimes even as a predator, okay? If you're, and even if you're not kind of purposely ruling with, you know, teeth and claws. So their little critter brains are always peering out and saying, safe or not, safe or not, okay? They're a killing a million brain combo that rules the critter state, and we call it the critter state because you're like a little animal. Fight, flight, freeze, safe or not, okay? Right. We're going out there and we're looking at, wow, our boss has so much power over us, right? They can take away our livelihood. They can take away our ability to pay our mortgage. So when we give people feedback, even – I hate that term, constructive criticism. <laughs> if we give people feedback, often they're going to shut down and, you know, really feel freaked out. So here are some phrases that drop people down, that, that these phrases drop down into a person's subconscious mind and give them a feeling of safety, belonging, and mattering. Write this down, guys. The first one is, what if? When you preface this to an idea or a suggestion, you remove ego and you reduce emotion. 
you are curious, you're not forcing a position, you're kind of scratching your head and pondering. It's it's like when you're at a concert and somebody throws a beach ball into the crowd and then everyone starts batting it around, okay? Yes. So, yeah, what if is like, you know, gosh, well, what if we tried such and such? I don't know. You guys think about it, right? Then you hand it off to them. They get to own it, shape it, craft it. You're out of the loop. It's not, well, Kelly said to do such and such, you know? It becomes kind of a, hey, what do you guys think? You guys take it and run from there. Number two, I like this one best. I need your help. We call this a dom sub swap because the dominant person, when they use it, they are enrolling the subordinate person to swap roles with them. The dominant person is getting small. Wow, I really need your help. So the smaller person, if you will, can get big. Okay? Mm-hmm. This is a really, really cool way to really give people power. I need your help. You know, we've got this new initiative. You're the perfect guy to lead it. You know, could you help me with this? And the, and the guy's going to go, wow, yeah, sure, cool. You know? Mm-hmm. So I need your help. And if you have, if anybody out there listening has kids, this is a really cool thing to do with your kids because you'll see them kind of puff up if you say, hey, I really need your help. Your child will puff up. As adults, we're too cool to do that, but it's happening inside. Okay. Well, and, and a lot of times people really do like to help other people. Yes. Just have to we want that. Yeah. 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 We want to be useful. Okay. The third one, guys, for rapport when getting feedback or when in, when stuck is would it be helpful if when somebody is really stuck in their critter state or spinning or unable to move forward or terrified, would it be helpful if Actually, it's so cool to do this, you guys. You actually pull them. You can feel it. You're pulling them from their critter state, from their amygdala, from their hijack state, right into their problem-solving, their um, brainstorming, their finding the solution. It's so great. So when we say, would it be helpful if, what we're doing is we are helping somebody shift into problem-solving as opposed to being stuck. Does that make sense? It, it makes sense. Let me ask um, a question to clarify, though. When yeah. There must be a subtlety, though, to asking would it be helpful if, because earlier we said we don't want to give people the answers. We want them to learn to think for themselves. So tell me tell me what the fine difference is, the, church, the distinction you're making there. Good, good. Okay, so one of our CEOs, our, our, our companies, our CEOs that we work with, the companies we work with, often they start performing much, much, much better so they'll often go back and they'll start raising all the quotas for their salespeople, okay? So one of our uh, CEOs recently did that, and then Tom, one of his guys, came to me and said, whoa, you know, my quota just got raised, and he was kind of in his critter state. And I said, hey, would it be helpful if we look at your pipeline and then we look at your key alliances, you know, and then we formed a strategy, and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that would. Okay, well, the alliances, let's look at that later. So let's really look at that pipeline. You know, so suddenly we just shifted him from, wah, you know, into, mm-hmm. yeah, let's find a solution. Right. And you're working yeah. on it together. You're not just telling him, go look at your pipeline, and, you know, it's it's a, it's more of a joint type of, uh, you feel like was, you're not yeah. alone in this. Yeah. Yeah. It was an inquiry session, starting out with what sounded like an advocacy. Hey, would it be helpful if, but it wasn't an answer. Would it be helpful if we looked at this? And then we considered that, right? And then we looked through each of those things, and we kind of stepped through and considered them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay. Let's, so, and we'll, yeah, while we're there, do you want to talk about focusing on um, outcomes instead of on problems? Mm-hmm. Because that's where people go so often. You know, when we're in our critter state, we're looking at all the bad, pain, icky, scary stuff, as opposed to the glorious future we want to create. Okay. 
So here's the thing. You know, all of us default to a certain role based on how we grew up, victim, rescuer, persecutor. I was kind of raised to be a rescuer, you know, zoom in and, and save the day, you know. So when we look at how we bring that then to the workplace, because we don't have two personas, our work persona and our, you know, our regular life persona, we're just one person. Yeah. So, yeah, we often get stuck in this tension triangle where, you know, we're playing a role. We're the victim, the rescue, we're the persecutor, but each of those roles actually wants something. And when we take people from tension where we're focusing on the problem to empowerment where we're looking at the solution, the victim becomes the outcome creator. The victim wants something. Let's help them look at what they want that they're complaining about and help them get it. So we shift the victim to the outcome creator, and I'll tell you how in a sec. We shift the rescuer to the insight creator. The rescuer is not going to save everybody. The rescuer is going to help the victim find their own solutions. They're going to be a facilitator, right, sounds like like inquiry, a facilitator of that victim finding their own outcome that they want to create. The persecutor is just frustrated because they want some action. They want things to move forward. So let's help them become an action creator. We do it by asking three questions. What are uh, it's it's called an outcome frame. We go into it very deeply in Smart Tribes. Here's the short version. The cliff notes is, what would you like? And you can't ask it in a cranky way. Okay. Hey, wow, what would you like? What would you really like? What do you really want here? Okay, second question. What would having that do for you? What would you get if you had what you said you wanted in question number one? What would, what would having that do for you? Mm-hmm. And then number three, how will you know when you have it? What ah. proof will show up? Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing too much work, blah, 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 blah. You know, I want more strategic time. What would having that do for you? Well, I'd have more energy. I'd feel like I wasn't so stuck in the weeds. I'd feel like I was making a big, bigger difference. It would frankly be more fun. Ah, how would you know when you had it? Well, you know, actually, if I had three to five hours each week where I could shut my door, turn off all the phones, and just have strategy and design new products, yes, then I would know that I got it. Ah, cool. Okay, then I'll throw in a fourth question. What are the next steps? What are the next steps? There you go. Yeah, we can implementation. Sure. Yeah, yeah, we can shift anybody from victim, from rescuer, from persecutor by asking those questions critical mistake that employers make uh, unintentionally oftentimes. Yeah, yeah. So the last one that we make that that really, frankly, scares our people into mediocrity, because these all do, into lower performance, is we frame change in the wrong way. Okay? Good. We all want change. Change is good, but but the C word, the change word, often scares people. When you read um, Smart Tribes, everybody out there, you'll read about metaprograms, which is Chapter 7. This is, this is a person's operating system. Roger Bailey did some groundbreaking research, and we use his research in this chapter where we learn that in the American workforce, 65%, 65% of the American workforce has the metaprogram of what's called sameness with exception, which means keep things the same, Take away the bad stuff, add more good, but keep things the same, okay? It's, you know, why, why if you guys remember, some of us remember the disaster of um, new Coke, right? People oh, didn't yes. want new Coca-Cola. They wanted right. Coke with some yummy cherry added. They wanted good old Coke with the bad calories taken away. They didn't want brand new spanky Coke. No, that was terrifying for people. Too much change. Mm-hmm. So, so if people just want basically stuff to stay the same, bad, taken away, good added, 
we don't like to use the word change. We like to use the word growth, you know, evolution, something positive that doesn't freak people out, okay? Sure. So we want to make sure that we say, hey, you know, this is something cool. It's the next evolution. Thank you so much for helping us get here. Now I would love all your ideas on how to get to the next level where we're going to take away, we're going to reduce pain and frustration, and we're going to increase innovation and creativity, you know, and energy, et cetera. So let's just do – go ahead. Well, that is a great way to put it because change, when whether it's by connotation, whether it's the word itself, but the word change just almost uh, makes you feel like your head's being cranked. Uh, it's just such an abrupt shift, just hearing that word. But when you say evolution, when you say growth, it's almost like a sliding uh change it's it's not uh something that's so abrupt it's like you're gonna uh, smooth your way into it there's just something more gradual about it although it can be fast and so um and it's funny how people are but that 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 subtle way of saying it that subtle difference in explaining it makes all the difference obviously and you have the uh, success to prove it so yes yes i like that kind of sliding it's it's like you're still on the same track you're not changing a whole different track. You're on the same right. track. You're just going right. to move forward. Frankly, it's going to be a little easier because we're taking the bad stuff away and we're adding more good. Got so it. let's do a, a quick recap. So the five things that, that leaders do that steer their employees to that mediocre or that poor performance is, number one, we, quote, help them out, unquote, by giving them solutions. So the way to get around that and to end that is to use inquiry instead of advocacy. Ask people questions. Let them come to the conclusions, help them rise up instead of giving them orders. Number two, we have meetings that are our mistake. Number two, our meetings are heavy on info sharing and point proving light on promises and requests. The solution, share that info in advance. Don't waste everybody's time in the meeting. Share it. That's what email's for. You <laughs> share the, the info in advance. Get everybody in the room so that we can get strategies and form um, form promises, form requests. You know, get closures. So we can move forward, get out of the room and start executing. Number three, we give feedback to employees without first establishing rapport and safety. Everybody craves safety, belonging, and mattering deep, deep, deep in their in their soul, if you will. So when you use what if, I need your help, would it be helpful if, we help them feel safer with us so we can move forward and they can hear the feedback without going totally into their fight, 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 please, freeze, uh, critter state. Number four, Mistake number four, we focus on problems rather than outcomes. Remember what I said about the victim, rescuer, persecutor, and the outcome frame, using the outcome frame. What would you like? What will having that do for you? How will you know when you have it? What are the next steps? And then last, the fifth mistake that we make is we frame change the wrong way. So what Kelly and I were just talking about, right, was just, hey, let's make it growth. Let's make it evolution we're reducing pain and frustration. We're adding more innovation, creativity, energy. You know, things aren't radically changing. They're growing and they're evolving to the next level. And thank you so much, guys, for helping us get to this level. We want all of your input, et cetera, to get to that next level. Christine, you have hit this in just about 20, 25 minutes. I know that in your book you take a much deeper dive, go into much more detail, more examples. How would people who want to learn more about this approach find your book? Yes, they would do two things. Um, either go to your favorite bookseller or, or Amazon and buy Smart Tribes, Smart Tribes, How Teams Become Brilliant Together. Um, so do that. And then separately go to Smart 
tribesbook.com and join our tribe. You'll get free webinars. You'll get free quick little informational videos. You'll get my Forbes blog. You know, all those, all those goodies. We send out a little kit each month to make sure that you have the digital resource to implement the techniques in Smart Tribes. So, okay, so go to smarttribesbook.com. Yeah, smarttribesbook.com. It sounds like a winner there because you get so many other things in addition to the book by going to that particular site. And, Christine, one of the things that struck me as you were delivering a lot of this, uh, a lot of these tips and uh, pieces of advice today is that not only do you empower the in, the individual, uh, as your subtitle suggests, how teams become brilliant together. If you do this correctly, you're not just speaking to or or teaching your employees in isolation. You you teach them a method that helps them work together, and then what is that saying that uh, the way, the way that sh- that uh, uh, rising tide lifts all boats? Uh, you're yes. The entire organization. Uh, you're not just. It's not just a one-to-one kind of thing. It's. It's very much a group uh, learning experience and, and change. If I can use that word, that occurs. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a really, really good summary, Kelly. So what we find across the board, across the board, across the entire corporation, across the whole org chart, when we go in and we work with companies, with coaching, with training. You know, with consulting, we find that 33 to 42 percent of the entire company across the entire up and down the org charts, 33 to 42 percent of the entire company rises up and starts performing at much, much more profound levels. They're they're taking more responsibility. They're taking more ownership. They're asking for more responsibility. They're not asking for more money, but they inevitably get it because as they're rising up and taking on all those cool stuff and delivering even better results, it's inevitable to get promoted. You know, but they start more from, wow, I get it now. I can perform at this much greater level. I've been, you know, selling myself short. You know, I want to rock and roll and make a huge difference here. And then, of course, you know, all the rewards follow for them as well. Christine, again, thank you so much for being on the show today. And all of you who are listening, go out to Smart Tribes book.com and you will get all of the not only the book but the resources that Christina has available out there on the website. So again, thank you very much for being our guest today. Thank you, Kelly.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.